morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Hosea again. And uh, we're going to be in Hosea chapter number 2. We're going to finish up Hosea 2 and uh, move right into Hosea 3. And uh, in preparation of this, I was thinking about a life and thinking about everything that we go through in life. And in a reality, um, the life that we live is is real. It's, it's not fake. It's not a fantasy. Even though people do live in a fantasy type of world, um, we live in reality. And sometimes that reality that we live in comes with its ups and downs. It comes with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, it has its successes and it has its failures as well. But life, as we take a self-examination inside of our hearts, inside of our life, we realize that there are some things that are out of alignment in our life. All of us can attest to that. I mean, that's the reason why uh, we try to do things a little bit different each year. We try to make some adjustments. We may try to pursue after knowledge, whatever it may be. We know that there are things that are not right. Some things are out of alignment. You know, I wish in my own personal life that I was fully committed to Jesus Christ as a disciple should be. I know and realize that there are times in my life that I do not live uh, with the fulfillment and the love and the joy of pursuing after Christ like I should. Um, I know that in my own personal life, there are times that I do not follow the Lord wholeheartedly as I should. So I know that there are things out of alignment. If we take a look just in our world around us, I mean... We look at the world and we say, man, wouldn't it just be great if everyone just got along? You know? I mean, we have wars. We have people that are upset at each other. We got people carrying signs. We got people shouting things. Everything just seems to be out of whack. Everything's not in alignment. And we look at that and we wonder why all of that is like that. Well, every day, the biggest problem that I face in life is myself. And that's the biggest problem that all of us face is ourselves. Because there are things in our life that are out of alignment in our lives. You know, we wish that things could just seem to mesh together and work and work well. But the truth is, we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. And because of that, things are not right. Well... I believe that God has placed that desire inside of our hearts to wish, to long for things to be made right. Because there will come a day when God will bring all of, that, all of those things together. And he'll make everything work together. He'll make everything fit like it should. And I think that's what exactly what we're going to look at here in Hosea chapter number 2 has to deal with. So God has given this longing in our hearts... Because he knows that he is the only one that can satisfy that longing that is within our hearts. He is the only one that can fix the brokenness in the world in which we live. And so this is what we're going to see here in our text today in Hosea. We'll get a beautiful and astounding picture of not only what ought to be, but what one day will be. What God will do in one of these days. And so today our scripture here is found in Hosea. And we finished up last week. Uh, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15. And we're going to begin a reading our scripture here in Hosea 2, 16, all the way through Hosea chapter 3, verse number uh, 5. 
And, you know, in the first three chapters here, um, we get this picture of a marriage. And, and by the way, only Hosea 1, 2, and 3 are the only three chapters that mention about Hosea's marriage. And just to recap here, um, like last, uh, when we first started this, we looked at Hosea 1 as Hosea being the, uh, the chapter that gives us the picture of the unfaithful wife and how uh, God told Hosea to go and marry a whore, go marry a woman that was loose. And, and that picture was supposed to show us of our unfaithfulness to God that we have. And then in Hosea chapter number 2, we looked at God as the perfect, faithful husband. He's never done anything wrong. Um, he's, he's always been there for her. And yet he goes and he tries to plead with her to bring her back uh, to himself. And here in Hosea chapter number 3, we're going to see an amazing picture of Hosea how he redeems his wife and how the Lord redeems Israel and brings them out of them following after other gods and committing spiritual adultery. So a very interesting thing of of how all this takes place. Um, So we, in our analogy here, are just like the people of Israel and and we've gone after other gods. We have pursued after other, other gods. We have committed spiritual adultery with the Lord. But yet the Lord is still faithful to us. The Lord still loves us. And here in this scripture here, we're going to read in our text how the Lord redeems his people. So let's take a look here at our text as what the Bible says here in Hosea. I want to read through this entire section and listen for the description that God gives of what he will do in future tense. Okay, let's notice here in Hosea chapter 2, verse 16 through 20. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And he continues reading here in verse 21. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. So here, we're going to look at, firstly, number one, the future redemption. Throughout this passage of scripture, God is trying to... Tell Israel that there's going to be a future redemption. Now remember the picture here. This is 750 years before Christ that this prophecy is given. And the, the nation of Israel has been accused of committing spiritual adultery. And this is a warning that God sends Hosea. And, and God tells Hosea, I'm going to paint a picture of what you are doing to me. And I want you to go and marry a whore because that's exactly what you're doing to me, uh, Israel. And he tells them that he's going to destroy them. In fact, uh, Hosea uh, 
has a child. Uh, we find the names the name Jezreel. But then Gomer has two other children, not the biological father, but with the biological father Hosea, but by other men. And he says, you're going to call them not my people. And you're going to call them not my mercy. But God says, there's going to be a future coming of some things that I'm going to do in your life. And sadly, we know that uh, uh, Israel fell in 722 B.C., um, and it was taken captive, it was destroyed, but yet God still was faithful to his people. So I want you to notice a few things here in this text of the future redemption that God is going to do. First of all, we see this, it's Hosea 2.16, And in that day, future, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Notice that also in Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, And I will make for them a covenant on that day, future redemption. Notice also here in Hosea 2.21, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. And then also notice this last one here, Hosea 3.5, And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So throughout this passage, God is pointing to a future day of something that will happen. Now remember, this prophecy was spoken in 750 B.C., So we have to look at this in light of of history and we say, okay, yeah, things did happen. They were destroyed. God did bring the nation of Israel back together. And so we could say, yeah, maybe that thing has been fulfilled. Or is this still to come? Because I believe looking at the rest of this passage here, it doesn't necessarily just point to something that did happen. But it's pointing to a future tense of some things that will happen Later on. So we'll look at that here in just a bit. But look at what God says that he will do. Let's notice a few things here in Hosea chapter number 2. In Hosea 2, 16 verse, uh, through 17, it says, And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. So now the name of the main false god that the people were worshiping and including in their worship was Baal. And remember, as we looked at last week, Baal was this god of fertility. I mean, the the unfaithful wife was giving all of this glory to Baal, saying, it was Baal that gave me my wine. It was Baal that gave me my drink. It was Baal that gave me grain. It was Baal that gave me flax. It was Baal that gave me wool. And God says, no, it wasn't. It was me. Do you remember what I did for you? Do you remember how I brought you into the wilderness? Do you remember how I took you and did all these things? God says, it wasn't Baal. It was me. And God says, in that day, declares the Lord, you will no longer call me Baal, but you'll call me my husband. So evidently here by this scripture, it's quite evident that they were so confused in their thinking that they were thinking that God was Baal. I mean, they were so messed up in what they were thinking. And God says, that's all of that's going to stop. They will not call him Baal, but they will call him husband. And in that day, God will remove the names of Baal from their mouth. They'll no longer talk about the other gods. Let me ask you a question. Is that future or is that present? Is that something that happened? But we know because of them going into exile there and them uh, being in bondage there that when they were finally able to leave 
and they were able to come back to their own land. They became a monotheistic uh, type of nation. They would only worship one God. God cured them of that. But do we not still live in, a, in a, a world with many false gods? And yet we ourselves still worship many false gods? You say, Mike, now come on. We're not bowing down to, to things of wood and stone and, and metal and all that kind of stuff? Maybe not. But what has, what has precedence in your heart? What takes the priority in our lives other than Jesus Christ? So I look at this as a future thing that one day God is going to remove all of those things out of our past and we will worship him and him only. Let's notice another thing about this in our future redemption. Notice what it says here in verse 18. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. Again, God says in that day, he's going to remove all of the threats that are around them. He says the bow, the sword, and war. God will redeem all of the natural world, and he will end war and fighting. Now, again, we can look at this passage within history, and we can say, yeah, I mean, God allowed uh, that nation to be destroyed. And there was war, there was famine, there was death, there was destruction. And God says, I'm going to remove all of that. There's going to be peace in your land. And they were able to come back to their, to their land. But yet God will remove all war one of these days in the future. God will take care of all of that. There will be so much peace on the earth that we will lie down in safety. Can you imagine that? I mean, not to hear about some nut across the land collecting nuclear warheads like fine wine anymore. I mean, what a great thing that that will be in that day. So this tells us that this is still to come, even our day. God has not done this yet, and one day the earth will be filled with the peace of the kingdom of God. The peace that every human heart that I long for, that you long for, that we, we, we look at the, around the world and we say, man, I wish Jesus Christ would come back now and fix all this mess. God will redeem the earth in that day. And I like this. Notice again, it says in that day, God will change how the earth cooperates with man. Remember in Genesis God put man upon the earth and he says, here you go. You're supposed to take care of this. And I mean, Adam just go out there and he just, you know, dress the garden, just keep it. But then sin happened. Guess what? Adam had to learn a four letter dirty word, work. He's over there, man, he's working and he's hoeing the ground and there's thorns and thistles coming up. And he's sweating. He's going, oh, man, what is this? I need some deodorant. I mean, God is going to change all of that. Look what it says. He says, with the beast of the field, the birds of the heaven, the creeping things of the ground, it'll affect how the earth reacts with us. God is going to redeem all of that in that day. God will change how all of that operates, and he will make a covenant with the earth, he will redeem it. Let's notice another few things about this. 
It says here in verse 21 through 23, And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people... You are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. This is what God will do in that day. All of the natural world will be redeemed. These are a few characteristics of the kingdom of God that will come. These are some things that will happen in the future. But these things are not the central feature of the kingdom of God. The central feature of the the kingdom of God is our relationship between God and God. And us. God is going to bring all of that to a climax. He's going to bring all of that together. And in that day, we will have a a relationship with the Lord face to face. God will redeem all of that. Listen to the strong language that God describes what he will do. Notice what these verses say about this. He says, and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth to you in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. God will bind us to himself. I mean, it's one thing that we have Jesus Christ is our Savior, and, and, and when we trusted Him as our Savior, He came and, and He sent His Spirit to indwell in each of us. And we have that real, that reality inside of us. But the fact that we will be betrothed to Him forever, it'll never end. Forever. Say that word. Forever. Now say it like you mean it. Forever. Man, that's amazing. He will be our husband. We will be his bride forever. It'll never end. And notice what he says. God describes this nature of our relationship. How? He says in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy, and in faithfulness. All of these are qualities of the bride. He redeems us in these qualities. And notice what he says. And you shall know the Lord. The picture here is of a full and intimate and satisfying relationship. This union that we have with Jesus is what will make heaven, heaven. We must get it out of our minds that heaven is not about just going around kicking up gold dust. Heaven is not just sitting on a cloud in a nightgown and strumming a harp. Heaven is about Jesus. That's what it's about. And so the the life that we have with the Lord and the future relationship that we will have with him is something that we look forward to in one day. This is the relationship that we were made for. This is what is longing for in our hearts. This is what the earth is groaning for. Redemption. Let's turn over to Revelation chapter 19. I want to show you a verse here. And I think this will really give us a clear picture of this. Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Notice what the Bible says here.
Revelation 19, 6 through 9 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is of righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Do you see the picture here? The wedding day. I mean, for those of you that have children and they've been married and all the preparations that took place. I mean, you went shopping. You got the guest list ready. You you made all the preparations. And there's an excitement. There's an anticipation that is building. And then when that day approaches and that bride comes down the aisle and she presents herself to her husband in purity. And she says, I am going to be your wife. You are going to be my husband. And all of us cheer and we're so excited about what takes place. That's what heaven is. There's an anticipation that is building within our hearts. That one day we will see God. We will see Jesus Christ. We will be presented as the spotless bride before him. That's a glorious day. That's something to get excited about. That's something to be be passionate about. Because we will stand before God one day. In purity. In righteousness. In steadfast love. In mercy. In faithfulness. And in justice. So there is a future redemption that is coming. Let's turn back over to the book of Hosea. I want to show you a few other things about this. So we have a future redemption that is coming. That is a glorious thing to look forward to in our life. Hosea chapter 2. Let's continue looking at the scriptures here. Secondly, not only a future redemption, but redeeming the wife. Now God brings this back in. He says, now Hosea... He says, Gomer has been unfaithful to you, not just once, but time after time after time after time. I mean, Hosea knew that by marrying somebody that living in that type of lifestyle, that she was going to live that type of lifestyle. There was going to be unfaithfulness. And God says, Hosea, I want you to go and get Gomer. I love this picture here. In chapter 1, we focus on the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. In chapter 2, we focus on the relationship between God and his people. And in chapter 3, we come back now to Hosea and Gomer. Remember where we left the relationship? It was broken. It was messy. There was a lot of problems. There they are sitting at the table having a conversation as husband and wife. And, 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 and Hosea is pleading with Gomer, please put away the adultery out of your heart. Please, I want to be your lover. And she's getting on her ring and her coat. And she's saying, this is everything that my lovers gave me. And Hosea is going, no, I gave it to you. And she's running out of the, out of the room, going after her lovers. And here... God says, I want you to go get Gomer. 
Look at the scripture here. What is he supposed to do? Hosea 3 verses 1 through 3. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of lech of barley. And he said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. God had originally told Hosea to go and find a woman that was going to be sexually unfaithful to him. Hosea does it. He obeys the Lord. And the Lord tells Hosea, go and get her now. Go and love her again. The scripture here tells us when he goes to get his wife, he has to go and buy her back. Can you imagine the the scene? Here's, Here's Hosea. He's at home or he's out somewhere. The word of the Lord comes to him. He knows his wife is out living in an immoral lifestyle. And God says, I want you to go and get her. And he has to go find her and buy her back. Maybe he went through the marketplace. Maybe he started asking people. Maybe he went over to this guy that sold him something and he said, hey, have you seen Gomer? Have you seen my wife? You know, I don't know. I I think I saw her with 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 that one guy over there. Maybe he goes over there and he says, yeah, she was here, but she's not here anymore. Do you know where she went? Well, she was saying she was going to go over to this place. And he goes over there and he's seeking her out, passionately trying to find her. And when he finds her, he has to buy her back. What a description of love that, that, that Hosea has for his wife. He goes in there and he has to purchase her. Maybe she has already now become the property of another man. Maybe she's in debt. Whatever it is, it's not very clear what it says. But the thing that is clear is that he has to purchase her. And it says that he pays for her 15 shekels of silver and also some grain, some food. Maybe he didn't have enough money. Maybe he was going to do... Half of this, half of that. But he paid for her and he purchased her back. We find here that the amount seems to correspond to the price that was paid for a slave according to the law of the goring ox. In Exodus 21 verse 32 it says, If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver. They say, Mike, but it says that he only paid 15 shekels of silver and also some of this food, some of this grain. Well, the price of those things add up to 30 pieces of silver. According to Leviticus 27.4, it says 30 shekels of silver was also the value of a woman when calculating the fulfillment of a vow. So 30 pieces of silver is what was given in order to purchase her back, to redeem her, to buy her back. 
And so since Hosea paid half in silver and half in grain, it's a possibility that he went over there and he had his wallet and he pulls it out and he says, do you guys accept cards? And they say, no, we don't, not at this location. He says, it's only cash only. And he says, I only got 15 bucks. What else do you have? He starts looking, I got some food. Will you take some food? I want my wife. I want her. And he gives to pay for her to bring her back home. Our Lord came to us. And he found us in the most desperate, disgusting situation that we were ever in. He came to the cesspool of iniquity and he found us and he pulled us out and he redeemed us. Not with silver or gold, but with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He paid for our redemption. And he gave to us. He wanted to purchase us back and redeem us because he loved us so much. So here Hosea gives so he can bring back his wife. Does any of this make sense? No. Because in our world that we live in, we may see a, a, a husband and a wife and, and one of, the, one of the, uh, the, the partners there has been unfaithful and time after time we say, man, get rid of that loser. But yet God does not look at it that way. He looks at our life and we've been unfaithful to him after unfaithfulness, after, after affair, after affair. And yet God in his love and in his steadfast mercy towards us, he redeems us because he loves us so much. You know, when we see our sin for what it truly is, we will see how horrible and how disgusting we really are. This will show us of how unworthy that we are in the eyes of God. We will see how dirty and unclean we are before God. It will cause within our spirits to cry out to God and say, God, how on earth could you ever love me? But then we read this story of Hosea and how Hosea goes and buys back his wife. And we see the love of God as it's poured out upon the cross for us. As what Romans 5, 8, but God commends, he proved, he showcased his love toward us in that while we were still a sinner, Christ died for us. So God paints this wonderful picture for us of the one who continually gives and is there to redeem us. Do we deserve this kind of love? Absolutely not. But yet God chooses to give this love to us. And that's what makes the love of God so amazing. Because it's nothing that we can ever do to earn it. I mean, did Gomer deserve the kind of love that Hosea has towards uh, his wife? Absolutely not. But yet, he willingly gave it. Listen to what John chapter 13, verse 34 says. So now, Jesus says this, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. 
for those of us that know God, that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we've experienced this kind of love, we have been commanded by Christ to showcase that exact same kind of love towards those who do not deserve it. A perfect example of his love is to be lived out. Listen to what Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In Ephesians 5.25, the great picture of a marriage relationship and how the Lord uses marriage to be a, a picture of, of our relationship with him. He says in verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her. So sometimes in our marriages, guys, we say, I'll give if she gives. Basically, we say, I'll love my wife well if she, if she deserves and she earns it. As a husband, I have been given a love by Jesus Christ that I never deserve. And this is the love that I am supposed to give towards others. There is no limit and no restriction. There is no end. Husbands, we are to give this love to our wives every single day. Regardless of the circumstances, we are to love. Regardless of what she has done, of how she may have responded, of how she burnt the meal. How many of you ever had a burnt offering? A Christian husband is to love his wife with the same love that God has given to all of us. And this is our responsibility to God. So husbands, can I urge you, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. This is something that I have to work at. This is something that I am not perfect in. I have to strive at this. Many times my wife points things out and says, you are not doing what you should be doing. I have to love because this is the kind of love that God showed us. So Hosea redeems his wife. So we have there a future redemption. We have this redeeming the wife and how God shows this picture of redemption through the cross of Jesus and how Jesus redeemed us from our sin. But I want you to notice the third thing here. I love this one. Our promised king. Look at Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 through 5. It says, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. So in our last two verses, God speaks to the people of Israel and tells them the judgment that will come. But notice here the word without. Yes, this did happen. But yes, this will happen in a future tense. There will be a day, God says, that the people will dwell without king or prince, sacrifice or pillar, ephod or household gods. God will judge his people and take it all of it away. But after their judgment, God says, now this is the key that tells us that this is in a future thing. Notice what it says. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. 
When this book was wrote, David had already been dead for 200 years. How in the world are they going to be seeking David their king again? He's already been dead. Are they going to rise David back up from the grave and worship him? Let's examine a couple scriptures that will shed light on this. Let's turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. And we're going to look at these two passages of scripture here. And we'll be done. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. Look what the Bible says here. It says, for when you, David, God is speaking to David. He says, for when you, David, die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now we can look at that scripture and we can say, yeah, well, David's son was Solomon and Solomon's the one that built the house. He built the temple. But the key is, I will secure his royal throne forever. When Jesus was born, the Bible tells us that it points directly, it repeatedly points to us that Jesus was a descendant of David. He had a kingly line, a kingly heritage. And so from this line of David that is pointed us here in the scriptures, it points to Jesus Christ. And it says he is the one that's going to have a royal throne forever. Let's look at one other passage of scripture. Revelation chapter 22, verse number 16. Revelation 22, verse number 16. So God says you're going to seek the Lord their God and David their king. In the latter days, in the future. And in Revelation twenty two sixteen, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir of his throne. I am the bright and morning star. So the scripture says the source and the heir. Not just the heir, but the source, the very source of David. Because Jesus is not just another human descendant. Jesus is the very God. And here the scripture tells us in Hosea, he says, In the latter days you will seek the king, David. You will seek Jesus Christ. You will seek after him. And so since Jesus has come, the new day has dawned. Everything is pointing to Jesus Christ. And there will be a day, there will be a future day that we, us, that know Christ as our Savior, we will have King Jesus to rule and to reign. And we will worship him and him only in the latter days. This is a future thing to come, a future king, something that God is doing in our midst. So is this something that we should be excited for? Absolutely. Even in the world that we live in and everything's falling apart and things just don't seem right, God has placed a desire inside our heart, a longing for the future of the coming of Jesus Christ. One day he'll set everything right. We will be presented to him as his bride and we will have him as our king. 